Well, I guess, John, we should welcome people back to the Yacht Rock podcast out of the main. Yes. Considering last week we uh, ended up somewhere, who knows where, some Boston somehow. Yeah, via the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, we're back. We're back. And we're talking about Yacht Rock again. In the harbor. Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to start by picking a beef with you. Oh, nice. Because weeks ago, I don't remember what the context was or what the topic was, that we're, but you posed a... Either or, you know, death is not an option. Question to me, and you said if you had to get rid of one of these elements of yacht rock and never oh, see yeah. it again, yeah, which would it be? One was the palm mute guitar plucks, yeah, which are you know are my saccharine, yeah. sweet, d- delicious delight. The elixir. And the other one was wire choir. Well, I think it was it face melting guitar solo, but the two go together. No, so, I think it was specifically, specifically wire, wire fire. Oh boy, I okay. think I don't know. All right, I called it wire fire. That was a uh, oh. slip of the tongue. Yeah, okay. so. And the reason I think, well, again, my memory could be failing me, hmm. but um, I remember sticking in my brain because I heard nothing but wire choir <laughs> from that moment forward. I'm like, I can't live without this. <laughs> <laughs> so it was death. It was my option. So we decided we'd do a whole episode on wire choir. Wire choir. You know what it is? I think I do. Okay. Tell I hope me. to oh, by yeah. the end of this episode. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, wire choir is sort of a fun term. I only recently learned it. I, I got to admit, I, I know of the the technique, uh, and I always just called it harmonized guitar leads. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I started hearing some of the guys from, you know, back in the that era, uh, we heard Graydon say it, we heard Bill Champlin say it, and it just rolls off the tongue like this is the word that they've been using for decades to describe it, and that's wire choir, which is essentially a lead guitar technique, pretty much like you might call it orchestration of a lead guitar. A lot of times it's used in a solo. Sometimes it's used as background uh, stuff within a song, and we'll kind of cover both of those. But it's a technique where lead guitars are playing in harmonies. A lot of times it will be used to accent certain phrases within a guitar solo or multiple guitar lines playing together almost like a string section. Um, And it's done usually in a three-part harmony kind of thing. The reason for that being is that guitars, particularly the tone of a guitar, but it's not exclusive to guitar, if you're playing two different notes, two different instruments playing two different notes, and there isn't a interval of a third in there somewhere, or a sixth, which is just a third inverted. Um, if there's a if it's fourth, two notes that are a fourth apart or a fifth apart, it has a very hollow sound to it, and you don't get that sort of um, rub that you get from a third harmony. Mm. And so, if you don't have that note in there, it starts to sound very. Um, Unattractive. I, I I don't have a good adjective. So the I think reason it's basic I, is the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, the reason I point that out is because when you're doing this wire choir stuff, it's as much about the playing as it is about the sort of compositional or arranging acumen of the player to understand how I'm going to build this part so that I always have these nice thirds and these nice voicings going on. It's not just, well, I played that part, now I'll just play another line in the same key that goes along with it. You have to very meticulously know the notes that you're going to be playing. It's not just simple. 
yeah, notes in terms of A, B, C, D, E, or F, but also the length of the note because they have to match up and we're not going to quantize it later. It's going to be right. Yeah, and if the timing is poor because the guitar has such a plucky attack before the sustain happens, if they're not played tightly, it also gets very hard on the ear. And sometimes they would add layers sequentially too, wouldn't they? Yeah, a lot of times I've noticed these solos start off as a solo, one guitar, and then they'll add the harmonies, which often will come in left and right. So you, you suddenly, not only do you get the harmonies, but you get a much wider stereo spectrum. If you're listening, particularly on headphones, you can really notice it. But it's also done as they might play long, flowing lines behind, say, they might add it for the second verse or something like that as a, an element behind the vocalist so it becomes an orchestration kind of thing as i said almost like a string section but again the tone timing intonation and even the timing of the vibrato as these layers come together are all important because if the vibratos are at different speeds or in opposite uh, directions you one might be pulling sharp while the other's not and then all of a sudden it sounds out of tune it's it's not a simple technique to accomplish well. Yeah. And then you mentioned, too, it's got to be mixed right, too, for it to have the intended effect. Yes. Do you yes. remember when we interviewed Jake Graydon, who I think we're going to come to as being like the master of this technique? But yeah. Do you remember when we interviewed him? My recollection is that he said, you know, of course, when he was doing any guitar solo, he was always a, a millisecond away from crashing into a brick wall. Right. But didn't he say his technique for wire choir was he would just play something without the pre-planned thinking. Then he would go and chart it. Chart it out. And then he'd chart the third and the fifth above that. So mm -hmm. he was actually writing the choir part posthumously after the initial lead. Yeah, it did seem that way because he would probably want to go in and play with the freedom of not having to worry about that yet. And once he has a nice melodic solo structured, then he goes back and says, okay, what are the sections of this solo that I want to accent. Going back similar to when we talked about backup vocals, mm. where they wouldn't necessarily always harmonize the entire line. They might do ooze and then words for the last couple of words of the phrase or only those words. They're, they're using it as a point of being able to draw attention to a certain part of the vocal, or in this case, a certain part of the solo. Often that's why it's at the end, because it's used as that extra element to kind of give one more elevation, one more lift to climax the solo before it's over. Yeah. And so how have you been working Wire Choir into Page 99 stuff now, and you've mm -hmm. got guys like Peter Freestad and yep. Panko, is that his name? No. Uh, uh, Pesco. Paul Pesco. Paul Pesco. Right. Um, with the intention of doing Wire Choir into a solo, how are you sort of directing? Or, or are you asking for things, or are you allowing the guitarist to just send it back to you? Most of the time they send it back, but the guys that I use, you know, Peter being a perfect example, but also Andrea, both of them are big time students of Graydon. So I would imagine they look for the opportunity to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, because a lot of music uh, or musicians might hear the idea of the harmonized lead guitars and you get this image of it's just being over the top, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a guitar player loves to do that. They love often when they're playing leads to be over the top. They love that opportunity when the music can finally call for that. Because let's face it, not a lot of music today calls for that. When they get the opportunity, you know <laughs> they're going to take it. 
and I've been hearing it my whole life now that I know that it's called Wire Choir. I remember hearing the end of the guitar solo in Hotel California. Yep. Um, we talked about Boston last week. They were big fans of it. Um, they, they were still doing it in the metal solos of the yeah, 80s, that's you know, right. and even into the 90s. And um, it's just, it's a perfect sound, like you said, to take something a little over the top or, or give a mix some more breadth and width and whatever. But it's also just a, a great technique to add something creative that prop I don't know never existed probably before the days of say 1970 yeah maybe not even quite that early I th- I'm not sure what the earliest I have on my list uh, I haven't like I think a 74 mm-hmm. on my list as we go through them but yeah I mean because it, it had to you had to at least be far enough along in the era where people had the gear and it had become in vogue to use a lot of sustain and almost like clean distortion, if that's even a, yeah, a I thing. Know you exactly know what I mean? What you mean Where the guitar really sings and sustains, and you can get these very long notes, very long melodies going on. And a lot of times you might pick the first note and then sort of hammer on the next few so there isn't a real strong attack, get it real legato sounding. But at what point did we really have that kind of guitar tone become prevalent in rock music? I mean, it couldn't be much before 74. No, yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, you mentioned Peter Freestead. I'd be interested in his takes on what he prefers. Well, as you know, we reached out to Peter. Oh, wait, I was trying to build the perfect segue. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, you said I, and uh, but it's actually, it was a we. Yes. So. Yeah, so go ahead. Okay. Uh because he's such a student of Jay Graydon, we decided to reach out to him, and he's a friend of the show and a friend you know, of Page 99, and wanted to get his take on what, what comes to mind when we ask you, what are some of the great wire choir solos that come to mind for you? So he spent a couple of days sort of uh, chewing on that, and he sent us back three that were his favorites, as well as a, a reference or two when he's utilized the technique. Mm, interesting. So, uh, so we've got the top three Peter Freestat certified wire choir tunes. That would be correct. And they're all Jay Graydon. <laughs> so I guess we should take this time to note that the easily the most prolific of this technique, whether he invented it, I don't think that's quite true, but he certainly mastered it and brought it into a level of, what would you say? Ubiquity? Okay, I don't know what that exactly means, but I'm going to go with that. Uh, but he it's certainly it within Yacht Rock, it's ubiquity is almost equal to, man, I'm using sweet words. Yeah, but used it the same one twice. No, equilibrium now. No. Okay. Almost like we said earlier as a joke at the beginning, it's almost as prevalent as the palm mutes. You know, it's a f- functional feature of Yacht Rock. Especially once you start noticing it, you you can't unhear it. It's like a, when we first started doing this, I thought, oh, man, now I got to go and jog my memory for all those wire choir things and uh i didn't have to wait very long i just had my list on and then they started popping up and it was everywhere that's what i did well let's get into the list all right uh we've got three here from peter freestadt and the first one that he mentioned was the solo that uh jay did for airplay on the song it will be all right so we're going to go to 225 of this song and check this baby out
Now, in that case, he's harmonizing the entire solo. Yeah, he comes right, right. out of the gate with it's the a little bit of the exception to the rule. So, yeah, well, let's prove the rule then. Okay. I number two on his list is also from the Airplay album, right? It was one of mine. I went go. I went looking, like you said. Like, all right, there's this wire choir solo in the back of my mind. I've got to search the entire universe for it. I was, I was like, I'll never find it. So I just hit shuffle on about the eighth song. In <laughs> was Airplay's version of After the Love Is Gone. So, yeah, there's an example where it starts solo, and then he adds the choir during the little turnaround going in the second half. And he has those bends in there, too. The real quick booyoo bend. Yeah. And he's got to get those in time and in tune as well. I bet he did it first take every try. Yeah, I know. He probably did. All right, what's number three on Peter's list? Well, it is a Graydon solo. This is from um, David Roberts, and this his album got a few uh, recommends when we did the Yachty 10 out of 10s. So David Roberts... Uh, Jay Graydon on guitar. Greg Matheson is the producer on this one. And this is from a song called Anywhere You Run To. Oh, that ending, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, thank you first, uh, Peter, for setting that list in. It's funny that it ended up being all Jay Graydon. Not well, on purpose, I bet. But No, but that's his biggest influence, him and Lukather. Do you have other Jay Graydon on your list? I have a couple. Yeah, I do. But why don't you go ahead? Well, just real quick, let's replay because this is an example of playing a lot of notes quickly okay. and then having to go back and, and re-rip it in, in harmony. So Very good. Uh, remember we talked about this solo, Say You'll Be Mine, Christopher Cross. little different sounding solo like different sort of voicings and sort of pathways yeah but he worked it in there well if we're going to play the uh fast notes and having to hit uh harmonies on on that let's uh jump to a bill champlin song i had this one further down the list but once you brought that up the speed and the timing and the harmonies and all that stuff the intro of bill champlin's what good is love of a variation on a theme there, isn't it? It is. A little different sounding, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, I'll give you my last Jero so we don't just take up the whole episode talking about, which we could. We could. Uh, Did I say Jero? You did. But we we know you meant Jay Green. Okay. But it is Al Jero. Oh. And it's just a tiny little bit in a song that you uncovered recently as a buried treasure, and that's After All. 
I, I have two more, Graydon. Cool. All so right. one from the era, going back to the Champlin well again. This is a case where it's not the solo, it's not the flare, it's not the flash, but it's setting up a theme in the intro that, again, gets revisited later. Maybe this would be more akin to doing them as string parts. And this is the beginning, uh, the intro from Gotta Get Back to Love. Very nice. Well, what you just illustrated is actually serves as a pretty good segue for me to go over to somebody who I would later find out is maybe the, eh, I wouldn't say the true master, but another master of the Warrior Choir, and that is Mr. Dan Huff. Oh, yeah. I got oh. some Dan Huff, too. Oh, uh, Let's listen to Chris Christian's intro, like you just said, ah. to establish the theme. So now this is going to become sort of a melody hook that serves as sort of a post-chorus throughout the song. Here's Walnut Hill. then, if we move forward to the guitar solo, he'll take variants of that theme and expand upon it. Mm-hmm. How's, oh, how's yeah. that exit? All right. Well, a little background on uh, on Mr. Dan Huff. He is uh, a name that I knew, but never really dove into. Same prior to getting into this yacht rock thing. But obviously, I've done a lot more learning on that. So I want to kind of set the stage a little more background on him and where some of those chops come from because he he is kind of a he's done so many different things. But one of the things that he was known for was the sort of prog melodic prog rock. I guess you'd call him band giant. Remember mm-hmm. Giant? Yeah, I do. Yep. And of course, he was in that. Um, but then he's heavily in the country music scene. Did you know that? Did not As know that. As a player and a producer. So I looked him up, and he's won like uh, several awards, Musician of the Year, Producer of the Year, all kinds of Country Music Association awards. Um, he's played on such a range of stuff and i can only hit a couple of these but the ones that are sort of related maybe to the yacht rock in the era uh, michael jackson he's played for amy grant scritty politty white snake juice newton george benson whitney houston's debut album barbara streisand kenny rogers i mean all over the place and even more recently with like faith hill uh he's played with megadeth <laughs> <laughs> He was um, so he could hang with the bad well, boys. Yeah, because he played on when. Remember when White Snake did um, "Here I Go Again"? There yeah. was an album version, and they recut it for a single version, slightly different. Dan Huff's on guitar on that version. Oh, just on lead or on all the guitars? I don't know. It just yeah, says wow. he played on that one. So that's a little bit about Dan Huff. So I have a Dan Huff track here too. Cool. And this was one of those songs that I remembered to wait. I forgot that I remember. What's how do we say that? Forgot, I, you forgot that, I forgot? that you forgot. Yeah. Okay. I forgot how we said that. You forgot that. how you say it. I now forgot. you remember what now I remember. forgot. Yeah. Yeah. And this was uh, Greg Gidry. We had that sent to us. Opening track from this album. Um, this is going down. This is the solo. We're going to jump to about two minutes, 15 seconds or thereabouts.
You know, when I listen to that now, just I think that the difference between his approach and Graydon's approach, it sounds to me like he has more layers in there. Graydon sounds like a main one and then maybe two harmony parts. This sounds like six or eight layers going on. This is heavily layered and orchestrated. Yeah, full choir. Full choir. I was going to ask you earlier when you were talking through the technique if they ever would double parts, though. So, like, they do two roots and two thirds. Every time you do it, it gets a little more difficult because of the intonation. Uh, and Maybe I would for say, you. but it sounds like, <laughs> yeah, it does sound like he's doubled the harmonies. Um, not so much on the grading stuff. All right, cool. Any other Dan Huff? No. Okay. Do you? No. All right. I mean, not good. We could be here all day, but. Yeah, I know. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple others that were in the Yacht Rock area or era or whatever we say, uh, but aren't necessarily a legend player. This goes from the first Pages album. So it's the guitar player that was part of the original five-piece Pages named Peter Leinheiser. Uh, 1978, uh, I just noticed this the other day when this song came on because I never really thought of this as a wire choir song, but Pages, if I saw you again... Well, you just stole one off my list, so I'm going to steal <laughs> one off your list. Okay. And that is the Sailor Song. You did steal mine. That was the other one I had. <laughs> that is funny. Good. Tip for tat. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This for that. Yes. One more. One more. And this kind of illustrates the... Use of the wire choir as a string section. And we go to the second verse, as I said, they might want to add an additional layer. So these feel like violin parts playing in the background. This is Burn and Barnes, mm. 1981, and uh, the second chorus, actually, of Stand By Lover. Very pretty. Well, along the same lines, I have an example of maybe working wire choir into a choir. (laughs) And that is Seals and Crofts, If and Any Day. Very clever. Yeah, so now they're blending it nice. and not letting it stand alone. So that's cool. Well, I do have a bunch that are off the boat, but before we do that, we would be remiss if I didn't ask you, the other legend guitar player, or not the other, there's several. I mean, we haven't talked about Larry Carlton or anyone like that or mm-hmm. Dean Parks, but what about Lukather? Do you know of any? I did not have any come to mind immediately. How could we leave a section on Yacht Rock, guitar playing, whatever we're talking about, without bringing up Lukather? Well, we're not going to. It's so hard. I, I racked my brain, first of all. Okay. Then I started going through as much Lukather as I could find. And then by accident, I stumbled upon something off the Wilson Brothers record. Ooh. He is listed in the credits that I found as playing the guitar solo. Okay. But there's no guitar solo in the song. So I could only mm. imagine he's playing the wire choir. Let's l- go to the tape. Take me to your heaven. Take me to your heaven. 
say your deduction is probably accurate. That's got to be him. That's got to be him. Hmm. So it shows, and there's probably more. So I'd like to hear more, but that's all I could find. But I'm glad we found at least something because he's yeah. the master. Oof. Boy, that was a close call. So you have things outside of the harbor. Yeah, we're huh? going to jump overboard for a second. Uh, I'll right. buzz through these fairly quickly because similar to our backup vocals discussion, there are examples of this being used outside of the Yacht Rock era, but certainly or outside of the Yacht Rock genre, but still era appropriate. I mentioned I had one from 1974, and yeah. immediately when I think of harmonized guitar leads, I think of Brian May. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, God, yes. You know, from Queen. And I found a little quote about him that he said, my dream was to use the guitar as an orchestra instrument. So going back to what we said. And I was lucky enough to make that dream come true. The Killer Queen solo was the first time I really managed to get the harmony thing across. And all those harmonies move about. They're not just following each other in parallel. I'll get to what he means there. They all interact like a small jazz band would do. So what he has going on in this is you'll notice, particularly in a stereo headphone sort of listening experience, that the parts will come in at different times, mm. sort of orchestral instruments. The left will enter and then right and then center or whatever it is. And so it's not just harmonizing a lead part. It's orchestrated. Yeah, like oboes come in and then you know, maybe your brass would come in. Yeah, right. Cool. So let's, let's hear, hear a little of that. What song? Killer Queen. Killer. So that might be the earliest wire choir we have, at least in our timeline. Yeah. We have. Yes. Um, you know what I thought was older, but certainly an entirely different use of it. But uh, Boys Are Back in Town, Thin Lizzy. Oh, yeah. But turns out that was not any earlier. That was what actually, I think, 76, something like that. So I thought that might be a proto version, but no. Proto wire choir? Proto wire choir, yeah. So we talked about Boston, uh, the second chorus of Amanda. They do completely instrumentally with lead guitar wire choir before the vocals kick in. And then there's uh, one of the other culprits of common use of wire choir that we give mention to is the Eagles. And so I found... Uh, the intro of The Long Run was another place where they used it. How dare you, sir? I know. How dare you? That, that kind of covers my list. There's a couple. I got extra. one then. Okay, go ahead. Before, this is off the boat, too. Right. Um, but only because I want the song injected directly into my veins forever and ever, and I've brought it up before. But let's hear a little of Till It Shines by Bob Seger. <laughs> Take away my inhibition. There it is, establishing the melody again. Yep. And then uh, it's a kind of a counter melody, post chorus thing. But that was played. Do you know much about the band makeup at that point? Because that's the song that Glenn Fry uh, guest solos on. But yes, yeah. uh, the other guitar player listed is Drew Abbott. Yes. I think it would have been Drew Abbott playing that. Hmm. Don't know. It's not really Drew's style. So that could be Glenn Fry. It doing could that. be. Yeah. 
It's similar in tone to the solo, but not exact. Anyways. Almost makes me think that that's Glenn Fry and the solo would might be Drew Abbott, but I don't oh, know. Interesting. Okay. Well, very good. Anything else before we uh, move on to the lightning round? I think we can move on. Might, right. uh, we might find some wire choir there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since you had your little fun little rapid fire, I'm going to use the does it float your boat section to throw a little rapid fire back at you. All right, do it. Where do you stand currently the year 2022, what month is it? August? (laughs) So So it's August red, yeah. On air supply, generally speaking, does it float your boat? Do you think it belongs in your playlist? Not is it technically Yacht Rock because we know it's probably not. Yeah, they still survive in my list. Okay. Well, they were... No strangers to wire choir. No, they weren't. You're Let right. me, I'm going to start with my favorite, and then I'm going to give you rapid fire. There's only four tunes, but here is the guitar solo to "Making Love Out of Nothing at All." Even the nights are better. Two less lonely people in the world, <laughs> and it's going to be fine. At least the wire choir, right? right. And just a tiny little bit in sweet dreams. So, all right, they, they were right. good at it too, man. So yeah. that just underscores what yacht rock really is. It's these smooth productions with these ripping guitar solos. And I know this is overly balladly it or ballady and smaltzy, but they were awesome at what they did. It shows you how much the influence of the West Coast made it worldwide yeah. too. Which was funny. Remember, this is a, an excuse for you to talk about their compilation that just came out. Yeah, what's it called? Um, Love songs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and your question was, aren't they all? <laughs> what else did they have? <laughs> yeah, it was Air Supply, the love songs. Like, what well, else is the there? entire library. All right, what do you have that does or does not float my boat? Well, I wanted to get a, a few that are just pure yacht rock in here because I'd kind of been running adrift the last few episodes. So I had a couple that were in my list, deep cuts, people I had not heard of, knew nothing about, but I see other people post. So I check them out. I save them when I consider them interesting enough to talk about. This is uh, Dave Valentin, or Valentine. He is a jazz flautist. Hmm. Um, I would have gone into this assuming that he was the singer on it. He is not. I would have gone into this thinking you weren't going to use the word flautist, but here right. we are. He's a flute player. <laughs> um, it's uh, from the GRP music label, so it's produced and mixed by Dave Gruss and Larry Rosen, kind of more of a yacht jazz crossover, mm. similar to maybe Grover Washington's Wine Light album. Ooh, I love it. Uh, Marcus Miller is on bass, so that's nice. worthy, and he plays a significant role on this one. A guy named Curtis King Jr. is the lead vocalist, but let's hear a little of Dave Valentin's In Love's Time. 
So do I even need to ask you if that floats your boat? Does that, that feel yachty to you? Oh, totally yachty. <laughs> that really floats my boat. It's so interesting how so many uh, jazz artists at the time were making these kind of songs or records where it was vocal heavy. Like I mentioned, uh, the Lee Rittenauer stuff, too, is another one that the soloist, who is the name on the front, doesn't play a really big role. It's not like they just do a little bit of token vocal and then open it up for wild flute solo. I mean, he plays a short little flute solo in it, and it's nice. And yeah, it's and it's mostly a tune. vocal tune. It's all about the tune. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good find. All right, we got Buried Treasure. I got another Buried one, another one like that. Okay. In the sense that it was somebody I'd never heard of before. Ah. But I tell you what, this passes the Juan Love album cover art test. <laughs> this is the epitome of uncomfortable. So yes, grab your phone. You're going to yeah, look this picture up. up. I know you've seen it. Don't tell me it's Greg Guidry. No, it's oh. not Greg Guidry. But it's is a, a little bit of what would they call this? Yacht Jesus, art rock, um, Ruby Duke? all the different. Uh, what is it going to be? Robbie Duke? It's not Robbie Duke or okay. Robbie Duke, but it is produced by Bill Schnee. Okay, so big name there. Robbie Buchanan, Mike Baird on this, Lenny Castro. Wow. So a lot of yachty guys. It's from 1983, and this is Russ. Half doing tell them. So, what do you think of that? I love it. Floats my boat. It's cool. Um, but Listener, as, as long as you're not driving, stop what you're doing <laughs> and Google Walls of Glass Rust Half album cover. <laughs> Tell me what kind of lover, lover's quarrel Rust Half is having with that vase of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably fake, too. They're probably soaked flowers. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is the epitome of bad cover art. But great song, great sound. He sounds a little like Bill Champlin singing. He does. Yeah, I love that tune. All right. You get to go off the map first. Okay. No, I don't. I haven't done my buried treasure yet. Yeah, but you will get to do off the map first. Okay, good. Well, my buried treasure is off the map. Good. And I'm going to take things in a little more solemn uh, place here because we are recording this episode the day after the unfortunate passing of yeah. Olivia Newton John. And so I wanted to pay homage or homage to her, yeah. brilliant artist, both in and out of Yacht Rock. And this is a huge hit that she had that, well, again, I forgot that I had forgotten. Okay. Because everything I know about Olivia Newton-John has been, in the last five years, been around Yacht Rock or Grease right. or the 80s Let's Get Physical stuff. So I forgot this tune. This is not Yacht Rock at all. It's a ballad, pretty smalty one, or not smalty, but kind of soft. And that's I Love You, comma. I honestly love you. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make you anything at all. But this feeling doesn't come along every day. Yeah, I was uh, going to opt for, or let's say, uh, kind of ask for a moment of silence. Ah. So uh, we did that uh, before, but we got the name wrong, so I don't want to do that again. But I had a... Uh, we do Juice Newton, probably. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I uh, have a, an Olivia Newton-John song as well. One of my favorites from her, this is from her sort of sexy 80s era, but I love the way some of that stuff was produced at that time. Particularly, this is not the deepest album quality-wise. It's got a few real great songs, and then it kind of falls off in the second half, but sonically, it's amazing. Uh, this is the Soul Kiss album, 1985, 
And one of my favorites uh, on that is the title track, Soul Kiss. And it's got the biggest synth pad sound of all time. So I'm going to pick it up there. That's got to be that Yamaha CS80, that big, huge keyboard we talked about a few episodes ago. Oh, and with the faders all the way up. A- everything up, man. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Now I'm so going- now you get to finish this off. Okay. So here is my off the map. I thought you almost stole my thunder earlier. But uh, over the weekend, I went and saw the new Top Gun movie. Have you seen it? Nope. So I've been re- it's coincidentally, I'm reading the Kenny Loggins book, you know, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. You should go out and get it. It's really well written and just great stories uh, covering his entire career, not just Yacht Rock. But uh, I'm just now getting to the chapter called In the Movie or At the Movies. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the guitar solo to Danger Zone? Offhand, no. Then you probably don't know who did it. No, I know that there was some controversy around that recording of that song. Yes. But what can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that uh, we are about to enter the danger zone with Mr. Dan Huff. How's that for well, 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 yes. okay. yeah, Way off the map, but uh, tied to Yacht because of Dan and Kenny. Yeah, at one time it was going to be Lukather. That's yeah. part of the controversy. Total thought they were the ones cutting that tune. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. just getting there, so don't spoil the chapter. Okay. Yeah, even though I already know Well, yeah, I wonder what his take is on it, because I've only got the Lukather viewpoint, so Ooh, that'll be interesting. Interesting. All right. Are we done? So figure out a way to work uh, Wire Choir into this. Ahoy, Paloo! 